0: Welcome into Author's Corner on Chapter 37, Two Legs Are Better Than One. And yes, of course, two legs are always better than one. Or are they? I guess, I don't know. We don't want to discriminate against uh, people with one leg. But I don't know. Seems like most people with two legs do like keeping both of them. And so if you catch meningococcal meningitis... One of the risk factors or one of the consequences could be you might lose a limb, and that's what almost happened to uh, Tanya in this story. Anyway, that's kind of an extreme situation, though. Um, That's kind of like the worst case scenario short of uh, dying. Um, So meningococcal disease, this is basically one of the three types of meningitis we vaccinate against. You know, we vaccinate against Hib meningitis for infants. We vaccinate against pneumococcal meningitis during infancy as well. Now there's uh, meningococcal meningitis, which is probably the most severe of the three. And we do have a number of cases uh, of meningococcal meningitis during infancy and for children as well. But we don't have a vaccine for it, so you don't hear much about it uh, in the pediatric uh, population during the early years because if there's not a vaccine for it, why talk about it, right? So where the vaccine comes into play is we give teenage kids, when they're 12, we give them the first dose of meningococcal vaccine, and then when they're 16, we give them a booster. The reason this comes up during the teen years is, like I said, we see this during infancy, and then it's kind of at low levels through the rest of young childhood, and then it peaks again during the later teenage years. Basically, 16 to 20, the older high school years and the early college years, that's when we see it um, pop up again. So there's like two peaks of this disease. You know, you guys are all, (laughs) you're used to hearing about uh, peaks of disease, right? Um, Looking at curves of disease. And so there's a high peak of this disease in the first two years of life. And then you flatten, you know, that that curve kind of like down near zero for the rest of childhood. And then it peaks again. There's a, sorry, I'm going to say it, you guys, there's a surge of the disease again for like uh, 16 to 20 year olds. And then it flattens out and it goes back down again. So they came up with this vaccine for teenagers because they can't get the vaccine to work well for babies and young children. They've tried. They've tried to give these vaccines to young kids. It just doesn't work well. And I don't know why, something about the immune system just doesn't respond well to the vaccine when you're young in a way that will give you disease protection. So I feel like I covered this disease pretty well in this chapter, well enough that I don't think I need to rehash much about it, except early detection is key, as you learned in this chapter. You're basically going to feel like you have a bad flu fevers, headache, the back of your neck and the back of your head might get really stiff and painful so you can't look down. It'll be like too uh, painful to look down. That may or may not happen. You might start vomiting. The lights will hurt your eyes. All the classic symptoms of meningitis. And the onset is pretty rapid. Like, you know, one hour you can have a fever and And six hours later, you can have gone way downhill and and be very sick really quick. But the hallmark sign of this disease is the rash. It's called petechiae. And so you know how to identify it. It's basically as if someone took a red felt-tip pen and just put dots all over your skin in a certain area. Like often on the extremities, you'll see this but you can also see it in the central part of the body. If you see petechiae on the neck up, that's usually simply broken blood vessels from vomiting. Like if you have the flu or food poisoning and you vomit a lot, or if you have a really bad cough and you're coughing really hard, you might get petechiae on your neck or your face. And if you see them up there, that's generally not an immediate concern for meningococcal disease. I mean, it could be, but that's typically just from the high pressure in your head from vomiting and coughing. But if you see petechiae in other parts of your body, especially the extremities, and you have signs of meningitis or a really bad flu, then you should be very concerned. You should be going to the ER don't wait. Have it looked at right away if you have all those signs. If you have petechiae, but you don't have any signs of fever or flu or being sick, then call your doctor. You know, you might need to be seen in the next day in the doctor's office, but if there's no other signs of meningitis, then don't worry about it so much. So that's what saved Tanya's life, you know, in, in this chapter, um, And that's what Giselle is looking for when she's examining her skin. She's looking for petechiae, and rightly so. So Tanya and Giselle are roommates, but again, even being roommates, it's unlikely to pass meningococcal disease unless you have shared the saliva. So fortunately, right? I mean, this would be terrible if this was a very contagious disease like measles or like the flu or like, you know, the common cold. Fortunately, it's not. And that's what really saves a lot of us from big outbreaks of this disease. The main reason I wrote this chapter, other than helping you identify meningitis from meningococcal bacteria, is the idea that mandating this vaccine has no scientific basis whatsoever. You know, I don't care if you get the vaccine or not. That's up to you and your doctor. That's an individual choice. But This vaccine has no benefits whatsoever as far as mandates, because there there is no evidence that getting this vaccine stops you from getting sick with the disease and being contagious to others. It's simply going to reduce your own personal severity of disease, all right? And as you read, a lot of people carry this infection in their nose anyway and can become symptomatic from it regardless of vaccine status, and pass it to others. So, an important thing to know. So, two types of vaccines, just so you know. I tried to talk about this in the chapter much, but it's a little confusing. But the vaccine we give all teenagers protects against the four strains of this disease that goes around among teenagers. It's strain A, C, W, and Y. Those are the four strains. Now, we barely see those strains during infancy and young childhood anyway. During infancy and young childhood, we get a lot of the B strain of the disease, B is in boy. And we don't see a lot of B strain of disease for teenagers, all right? So babies and young kids catch meningococcal B, and then teenagers catch meningococcal A, C, W, or Y. We have the vaccine that protects against the four strains, ACWY, we give all teenagers. Then they made an optional meningitis vaccine that protects against strain B, as in boy. Now, they don't have it approved for young kids. It's only for the teenagers, and it's kind of an optional vaccine. So colleges tend to mandate the four-strain version, and then they leave the B-strain version as optional. Okay, so there you go. That's what your decision is. So the story that the doctor, Dr. Wrangell tells in this uh, chapter is a true story. So the ACIP approved the one dose for all 12-year-olds, but they found it was wearing off by the time kids were 16 or 17 and in high school and off to college, and that's when they need the shot, right, is later high school and college. But all those 12-year-olds that were getting the shot, it didn't do them any good because it was wearing off. (laughs) Duh. That's what happens when you don't study a vaccine for a long time before you approve it. You find out there are problems. So the logical conclusion would simply be to stop giving it to all 12-year-olds and just start giving it to all 16-year-olds, right? Well, they didn't do that. And I would have loved to have been at this ACIP meeting Because I told you the vote, six people voted for it to add the booster at 16, and five people voted against it, and three abstained. That's unprecedented. You'll never see an ACIP vote split almost down the middle like that, which tells me there were a lot of good reasons to not simply add on that second dose at 16, but instead move the dose to 16, but they didn't do it. They voted for the second dose, and uh, you'll see that made a lot of people happy. Most kids in my practice don't get this vaccine. I offer it to every teenager that comes through my practice, but I don't have a lot of takers. I've given it to some people uh, for college. And there is that risk of Guillain-Barré syndrome or other nerve injuries. It's listed right there on the package insert as a risk. I haven't seen anyone have that kind of severe reaction, but the risk is there nonetheless. So you're welcome for, you know, getting you uh, another glimpse at life with uh, Francine. You know, she's uh, always adds a lot of fun to any chapter. And <laughs> you know, poor Chris, right? Uh And uh, Jim, you know, Jim Remington, he's kind of um, out of Francine's life. And you're probably thinking, good for you, Jim. You didn't need her anyway. And no, he didn't. So uh, I'm sure Chris is going to look forward to uh, getting to know Francine a little better. And I don't know if the book returns to Francine or not. Uh, I'm sure you'll be reading with bated breath to see if it does. But anyway... So that's meningococcal disease. You're welcome for teaching you how to pronounce it. The next chapter is a very interesting, sneaky meeting between three people. And I won't give you any heads up now, but it's kind of an interesting chapter. I had a lot of fun writing it. And we will see you on the next corner to discuss that.